met this six-year-old child in this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to episode of Subconscious Realms. I'm your host, General Lee. And for tonight, it's a true honor indeed to be welcoming a fellow native of this once promised land that has become, you know, basically a shambles. Uh, it's become a right shit all. All thanks to those, most likely, um, another species of being um, to be working to the shadows, so to speak. Uh, they know who they are. We know who they are as well. Um, anyway, <laughs> guest is a highly talented and gifted individual who shall undoubtedly grace her presence with an agenda to blow our minds. Uh, plus, you know, being a fellow native, she gets a golden ticket. Come on, subconscious realm, <laughs> anytime. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, Denny Dance. Uh, now then, Denny, lovely. Hiya. <laughs> um, Really, I can't thank you enough uh, for joining us. Um, I mean, like I said before, it's hard to record it. Um, for me, someone to share um, their experience, their journey is equally as fascinating as, as any author or any other guest. Um, it is it's a true honour to be speaking with you, lovely. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. No problem. So, then, uh, the floor is yours. Would you like to, to uh, basically share what you've been speaking about your your journey? Yeah, so um, my life has been um, a very difficult one. Um, I wouldn't say there's been a lot of happiness. Um, and I've, I've been through some very, very strange experiences in my life that's led me to where I am now. Um, and where I am now is that I'm still I'm still healing from from the sort of traumatic events of my life. Um, but I'm a tarot reader, and that is part nice. of what I kind of um, gained through my experiences, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I read the new mythic tarot, which is um, based on basically sort of shadow work really in Carl Jung so they're quite different to a lot of other decks really I, I that's yeah. why I like them they're, they're very different to any other deck that I've ever looked at um so they're based on um the Greek archetypes so oh. yeah so um I, I particularly like those stories I really resonate with them and I can kind of channel 
channel the the psychological meanings of the archetypes so when i'm yeah. uh, when i'm using when i'm reading a spread i can i can kind of channel through me what the card means for that person um yeah. would you would you say that that would be like uh, almost a, a symbolic way as well yeah, it's, t it's totally that because, Brilliant. I mean, going back in, into my journey a few years back, I, I just started to kind of think about symbolism, really, I guess. And the reason was because I was meditating a lot. I was living in a, I, I spent 18 months living in Buddhist monasteries. Um, Seriously? Yeah, yeah, I had to. Impressive. Yeah, yeah. Whereabouts was that then? Um, well, there were three different ones. So the first one was um, in Devon, which is a very small monastery, which is where I kind of yeah. rocked up basically and when I was homeless. And I just, I was in tears and I just said, I, I need help. And they have, they have a kind of obligation to offer what they call, um, what do they call it? Um, oh, I think it. I think it's Sangha, basically, which means that they have to offer you a kind of protection if if you ask it of them as best that they can, if they can. As in, is that, is, would that be like um, similar to, uh, oh, what's the word now? What's the word? Okay. Like, um, like, as in, as in the, the way of sort of like, protecting you um yeah it's like they offer shelter it's, it's like they offer they have to offer shelter to you and and protection if you ask it of them as because they because of what they're practicing i guess um and the the tradition was um theravada buddhism which is a thai forest tradition right okay and so I, I went there and it's it's basically you know in a way it's quite similar to I don't know is it similar to Zen it sort of is because it's it's very it's a very mental kind of um Buddhism there's no you know you could call it like no frills Buddhism because there's no deities there's no kind of um symbology much or anything like that is it's is basically practicing meditation and, and what's known as the eightfold path which is a structure to gain awareness um right. which to be honest meditation was, was never really something that i found very easily um so i i concentrated on that eightfold path which is it's, it's so it starts with like I don't know the order anymore I don't use it but um it starts with something like right uh right right view so that would be like um if, if you if you if you think of it like a tree yeah first the top of the tree right so if your view is wrong so if somebody if you think like oh it's okay to be racist so that's that's a wrong view isn't it uh, I, I would agree with you on that one. Yeah, yeah, in, but, in theory. I mean, obviously, some people wouldn't think that was the wrong view, but, it, you know, it's not It's not yeah, right. It doesn't I, come from a place of love, does it? No, I have to say that as well, though, uh, I think everybody's got their own um, 
view on on racism especially um on, on most things i think that's what makes us unique uh, we've all got our, our own uh, view and respect to each other's view but i think racism is it's a line it walks i shouldn't be crossed in my opinion we're all we're all the same we're all equal uh, yeah we are and and finding those right views if we you know, we can think something's right. We can we can search through ourselves to see whether that view's right. And we might be wrong, but like we'll learn from that view. If we have a wrong one, then we'll find yeah. that other things come after. Like the, the next one on that eightfold path is like right thoughts. So if you've got the wrong view on life, your thoughts about life aren't going to be right. And then it goes down to right speech so if you're racist say and you go out and you say oh the fucking blacks or whatever then you're going to get a reaction from that aren't you because it's not it's not it doesn't come a place from love it's 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 born of hatred so it's a wrong view but sorry love it's like there's for, for for every action there's a reaction yeah exactly so the more you practice the eightfold path so I think it goes through to um, right, right speech and it goes on to something like right actions. So that how you how you kind of, um, you know, what you do from that, really. You might go yeah. on a, demonst- and a demonstration, anti-black demonstration or something. I don't know. But like, you know, that's that would be a yeah. right, wrong action, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be a right action. And then there's right effect so the effect of that could be that you get your head kicked in or something like that so that would be a wrong effect exactly. am i making sense yes yeah, two wrongs don't make it right yeah um i think that that's the thing people think oh that that's the answer is violence and that's probably because you know that's one yeah, thing yeah so the human race for that is violence um so two people have got no empathy whatsoever um, they have a completely different view on things on what we would say is humane or, or normal. They think the opposite of some reason. And I think it's yeah, and and they do. They will reap whatever. You know, if you if you don't have that right view to begin with, like like I say, you're kind of falling down a tree because everything that follows is wrong. But if you start with a right view, so if you start with, well, you know right view is to, is to treat everybody equally without looking at their skin colour, then you're not go- going to reap any karma, like you say. You're not going to reap any, you know, backlash from that because your view's it's, it's, not wrong. So you're not going to fall yeah. down that tree. Do you see what I'm saying? Does that make yes, sense? It, it makes total sense, yeah. It's like, um, for me, I, I treat people how I expect to be treated back. Uh, if you're a cunt with someone, they're going to be a cunt. It's not going to be a You're going to be the cunt back, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Natural. Exactly. Uh, we're all the same, aren't we? Regardless of skin colour or where we're from. Yeah, exactly. We've all got different stories and what have you. But, you know, we, the truth is the truth, actually. And, you know, if we, we we don't know what the truth is, we have to keep sifting through our views and our thoughts and our you know our speech in order to get that right to get it all yeah, right I mean, and that's what that's what the eightfold path's about it's like you follow this structure 
And what happens is, well, what I found anyway, and I don't think everyone really uses that structure like I did, but I, I did. And I found that in the end, yeah, it was yeah. kind of like a, almost like an ABC to awareness because at first... Like I a guide. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a prescription yeah. to awareness. It's like a, yeah, a guide, a guide. Yeah. Um, and I found that after practicing it for like 18 months that like first, because I was so fucked up, really, yeah. I was completely destroyed when I arrived. There was nothing left of me. I was on the floor. There was, I didn't know what was right. I didn't know what was wrong. I had no boundaries, nothing. I was completely and utterly destroyed. And I used that structure to watch other people's reactions to me when I spoke. Yeah. So. I learned, I said to you earlier when we were talking, like I learned how to read people's reactions to what I was saying and or or how they were perceiving me through using that structure. Yeah. And then eventually. I bet that, that you uh, it benefited by like body language. You well, I've like, learned to read people on a yeah. very, very fine level now. I mean, I can literally see like from the shape of someone's mouth or, or you know, the way their <laughs> eyebrow is on their face or whatever, how they are. I can tell when someone's yeah, arrogant awesome. or when they're gentle. Yeah. I can read them like a book now from learning that, from that structure. Awesome. I didn't I didn't have that ability before I learned that. Yeah, and you, the growth and progression from, from you realising that that is, because that is a gift of sorts. Realize, realize. I, had, I had to do it. I had to do it because I, I didn't yeah. I didn't know how to protect myself at all. So I had to learn to protect myself in another way. And that was that was how I did it, because I've been through such awful, awful abuse that yeah. I, I, I couldn't listen to what people said to me. I had to I had to find another way of learning how to interact, because what I was I learned that what I was doing was causing a reaction in other people that was destructive and abusive and I didn't understand why. So I had to learn, I had to see what, what it was in me. And through using that structure, I also learned how to change myself. I learned boundaries. I learned, you know, well, if I, if I don't put that boundary there, this person takes piss out of me. So I've yeah. got to put a boundary there. How do I do it? Well, if I get aggressive, then that's not going to be right, is it? I've got to do that in a way where I'm firm an assertive rather than aggressive. So I had to learn to be assertive and get in, in touch with my male side. Yeah, I think that in itself, um, having the ability to, you know, setting um, personal protection in that way, that is fascinating in itself. Like you it's say, paramount not, for women. It's paramount yeah. for women. It really is. I mean, we don't we don't hear much from women on these sort of podcasts, do we? I agree. I agree. Uh, we have got some incredible female podcasts. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've come across um, Deplorable Nation podcast. Uh, Janet. Janet is. No. She's a true OG. I've done a few shows with Janet. Big shout out to Janet, but she is incredible. Uh, we've got oh, Nick. Have a listen. Nick's, I've just done a series with Nick's, uh, well, we've not finished it yet, but on the Vatican. Nick's is another incredible, um, just, just, just loads, but it's not as much, not as many as it should be, in, in my opinion. Um, 
well I think that as women we you know we women need a lot you know there's a lot of um sexism in our society and a lot of um you know this sort of I've never been a feminist I just I don't I, I never took on that kind of thing I heard I mean, it I heard it from my sister a lot growing up you know she'd fight yeah. my dad continuously about yeah. you know why didn't my brothers wash up you know why did she have to do it and all of this yes. and I I just I didn't like the arguments I guess so I I never became defensive like that yeah um so I, ne I never grew up with that sort of anti-men thing I've never had it and also I actually do have quite a masculine personality um so for me I've, I've never really had too much of an issue with my own masculinity except I didn't have any boundaries and I mean you know a lot of men don't have boundaries either but um it is a male trait it's a it's a you know it's a um a masculine aspect I would say boundaries yes. yeah I know what you mean um I, I mean like like in addition to at Janet and Nick's, we've got um, an incredible, <laughs> highly talented and gifted girl um, called Branda off uh, Twitter. She is incredible. I've done a few shows with Branda as well. Um, there's quite a few. Um, you know, I feel I feel quite bad not naming everybody, but um, you all know who you are. Yeah, and I, I definitely have listen. I've got um, another fellow native, uh, Debbie Elliott, DJ Elliott, um, or Jenna. I'll I'll send you some episodes I've done with um, with Debbie, but we've covered Elephus Levi, we've covered uh, work on on Steiner. Um, oh, you know, she's also yeah. But honestly, she'll blow your mind. She is incredible. I'm not a Debbie on for a while. We'll um, send her a message after we finish talking. Actually, she is uh, she's incredible, and I think she doesn't get a lot of a lot of the lovely ladies out there. Um, they don't get the credit they deserve. No, I agree. I mean, it, we I think as women we do. There is still, you know, I say I'm not feminist in that, but I still think that we. It's equally. Um, women are as most important to me. Um, they always will be. I've got a lot of respect for women. Um, and there needs to be that respect there. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, it, like I say, even though I'm not feminist, I do, I do see that you know, we, we have lived in a patriarchy and I know that women have been repressed and I know that, you know, even uh, now we still, I, I, I still feel it in myself that I am not respected in quite the same way that men are sometimes. Like you get talked over or, you know, not 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 listened to in quite the same way when you're a woman sometimes with some men, you know, not all men, but some men. It, it still goes on. It's still, it's still quite because. prevalent. You know. I think it's like it seems like there's there's like a little bit of lack of respect, like as if oh yeah we're better than you and we're all the fucking same. It's, it's just weird how you can have that mindset of we're better than you. 
Well, well maybe I think it comes. I... Well, maybe we're not. I see everybody's dipping on there. Yeah, and I think it comes from you know a long time ago where women have. I think Christianity Christianity has a lot to answer for because you know well the, the, the whole <laughs> yeah the whole Adam and <laughs> yeah. Eve thing. You know, it's like women are sinners. You know, their sexuality's dirty and like you know, but no nobody looks at the men and and you know what what that's about and um, that's that's kind of. I think had an impact on very uh, yeah on how it's we've like, been put down from the beginning yeah. put right down uh, uh, for for our actual very powerful personalities because we're much more emotionally intelligent than men are generally I believe I believe that too I believe that too especially some things um but yeah it's uh, it's sad really how society has become I mean it, it, I'm sure you'll agree that this country is not the England we, we grew up in. It's changed so much. Changed so much not for the better as well. I yeah, I mean, it's, 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 very, it's very weird times, isn't it? Let's face it. It's, yeah. it's just very, very weird times. I, I can't relate to it at all. Like, it's like being a fish out of water, really, because yeah. it's happened so like quickly. And man, I, yeah. Sorry? Like a foreign land. It is, and I mean, I'm quite a bit older than you, and the, the, you know, I grew up. My teen years were the 80s, and I mean, that was, you know, going back to my story. You know, I I grew up. First of all, I grew up near London, um, and then when I oh, was. So you never said that then. What's that? <laughs> I'll be saying you never said that then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of my family are all Londoners. Oh, I want to So yeah, um, I grew up near London in quite. Uh, quite I mean, my my family were, came from from very poor background, but my parents, my dad worked his way out of that, I guess. So I grew up in quite a sort of middle class kind of environment, I suppose. Um, and then when I was 14, just heading on into 15, my parents decided they were going to go and move to France because my dad, my dad was um, uh, a design engineer. He worked on Concorde. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, it was, but I mean, it never succeeded, did it? It literally never took off. It just it never succeeded. So my dad was made redundant because there was no job for him after they built it you know right, that was um a, and all the way to france and then, then yeah they, they moved to they moved to um the south of france and i was like nearly 15 and i was put into a boarding house so it in those days they had like these boarding houses which were for kids that had like they were either kids with issues or they were kids that had family abroad either in the army or for other reasons that they might be abroad so they were very small like boarding houses there was only about maybe 30 of us and they were mixed oh, and as as sort of like time went on they they went on to say that like there was a lot of abuse in these 
these places because uh, there was a number of them all over Britain. Um, and while that, um, so, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Well, uh, would that be like um, sort of some sort of private school stroke? Um, I don't know. I don't want to say this wrong, but someone some, say something like. Um, like a whole for challenge kids as well, but it'd be used for that. Like, but is it some sort of private schooling? But yeah, they are private, but I didn't go to I didn't go to a private comprehensive. I went to a comprehensive school, so I right. left I left London and I went to live in Buckingham Buckinghamshire near Milton Keynes. Oh, sure, you love. Come on. <laughs> so I was I I had all my sort of like roots up up you know sort of ripped apart really I lost my whole family because my sister left home my brother had already left home even though he was younger and then my other brother he he did come to boarding school with me for a year but he he left after that um and then my mum and dad were in France and I my grandmother who, who used to live with us just went and lived in Devon hence why I've ended up in Devon I suppose but um Everything just fell apart in one fell swoop, really. And I was dumped in this boarding house, which actually I had the time of my life. It was great fun, but nevertheless, yeah, yeah. I was rejected. That, that split in your family. I had that must split, have been yeah. Very difficult. But saying that, um, Dennett, um, I have had the privilege of being in that area of the country and on the southwest coast, especially Devon, St. Ives, Newquay, or Cornwall, all around there. It's, it's a stunning part of the country. It's beautiful. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I could imagine that, especially when it was like, I don't think it's probably still do it, like surf season. Incredible. I think people come from all over the world just to go to that area of the country. It is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, Devon's gorgeous. It really is. Um, very lucky. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, so coming up north, it's, it's grim up north. It really is. But I love is it. it? <laughs> oh, it's always looking pissing it down or cold, but I, I love it. Um, Northern people it, are really nice, though. I, I, I much prefer Northern people to Southerners, to be honest, unless they're Londoners. Yeah, Londoners are all right. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's weird, isn't it, how, how different? I mean, you can walk a minute down the road here and the language, the, the accents change. Um, I know, so I know. It's crazy. It really is crazy. I, I know. So I, I think Britain has, like, the most sort of, like, accent, accents in in the, in the country, country to other, other parts of Europe. We have so many, yeah. like, dialects and accents. Yes. Very it's diverse, incredible. Yeah. It's so interesting. She's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt anyway. Sorry. Man. That's okay. Um, so, so you got, where's up to, you sort of, like from being in private school and in per se, um, you sort of, you've split from your family due to it, um, which, you know, that must have been really, really difficult at the time. Especially, well, that was the thing. I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really feel that way because I had such good fun at boarding yeah. school that I didn't really, I didn't, and I wasn't really close to my mum and dad. Yeah. 
grew up in a very yeah. cold, emotionally cold family. So I didn't miss them. And I, I didn't, I think I was numb, really, already. Um, so I didn't understand. I didn't feel what it. Was no, I yeah. didn't understand. Actually, I was rejected and dumped into basically a home because that's what it was. It might as well have been for what it was, you know. Um, despite the fact that I had fun there and what have you. Um, and At least you had your mind to, to take your mind away from the, uh, the negative part of what was probably going on. But like you say, the distraction of having been gone yeah. through. Yeah, having definitely. that those times with um, you know new friends or uh, well that would have yeah. been something to keep mind of it which is good yeah exactly so it, you know and I mean you know you get up to all sorts of naughty things at boarding school I was I started drinking when I was at boarding school and that's that's where that started and I was the only one that ever really did it it was like that was a clue, <laughs> a clue really that I was gonna have an issue with it but um, yeah I was I was there for like two years I suppose and I fell deeply in love with someone um and it was my first love um and then when I left school I really thought we were going to be together and of course we weren't I was young um and it really it really hurt me and i you know my parents being in France it was you know it wasn't even like they were in the same country so the the trauma yeah. of trying to leave home understand the system and kind of get a job and and sort myself out was just totally intensified because I had to go and do that in France and I couldn't even speak English oh. uh, French oh but that, 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 that was challenging huh? it was extremely then, traumatic extremely I traumatic remember. You know, I remember, um, like, at high school, when he started bringing the languages in, like, French, and, like, what the fuck's going on here? It was just so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, um, nobody was interested. Why would anybody be interested back then? Yeah. It's uh, crazy. I mean, but, yeah, that would have been very difficult. Yeah, it was. And on top of it, I don't think my parents really understood, like, how difficult that actually was for me and they just sort of like yeah and I think my dad just sort of thought I was you know I grew Probably up, capable is that yeah yeah my, I got, my, my dad always you know I always got this feeling that you should just be able to do things and if you couldn't you were weak mm. and I was very sensitive as a child and I, I'm a very very sensitive child and having a father like that was very difficult because I never I, I, I always felt criticized and nothing was ever good enough for him and I felt like a massive failure massively failure um so he tried he tried to get me into like the Beaux-Arts which is like a um you know the French are, are renowned for their art colleges basically and yeah. he tried to get me in there and I I turned up there and I was absolutely terrified I couldn't even I couldn't speak French like I say and I was yeah. expected to do this exam and, and do all this stuff in French and I, I just couldn't do it I mean obviously I couldn't do it and I I walked out and you know told my dad and I just I just felt the most just utter failure utter utter yeah. failure and my dad was really angry with me about it because I'd walked out and he'd gone 
a long way to get me to to be able to do that you know he had connections I suppose um so that went on for about I don't know I was probably the whole year I think I was in a really really deep deep hole but I didn't really understand what kind of a deep hole I was in I was kind of repressing I think repressing and repressing and then I I kind of caught up with some of the friends that I'd had sort of while I was at school that I'd met on holiday and when I'd gone over to France and I met this guy and sort of we started a relationship we had nothing in common we just weren't suited but I was with him for about three years so I lived in in France for three years constantly and I learned how to speak French and and that but I just I just didn't have the confidence to go out and get a job and I just didn't know how to do it did it take sorry love did it take you a while to um to get used to like the language or you know was you still learning at that point not not especially no because I I had a flair for language anyway and I already I was already quite good with French um, from when I used to go over there and on holiday. Um, so it didn't take me long. Um, but, I mean, that part of France, they've got very strong accent. It's, it's, it's very different to other parts of France. Um, yeah, it's so weird, isn't it? Like the different areas. Again, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, the accent down in the south of France, France is more like sort of spanish sort of sounding. Oh, um, wow, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't sound anything like Parisian French at all. It's very different. And the people are very different as well. It's a bit like north and south of England, really. It's very, very similar. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah, like very, very similar. Natural enemies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I think, yeah, the southern French are much more sort of open and easy going, whereas the Parisians are a little bit more like the southerners if you like more reserved and yeah. you know hey, it's that it's sort of thing say that. And, and all that um there's certain area of france around rene le chateau and they've got some of the villages that they have like their own language what is different than other parts of france i don't know exactly what it's called but i can find out and let you know probably patois oh no why are you talking about me um See if I can find anything on it. I had an article on it, what I say, because uh, it was about two years ago, I started a, a series on René Le Chateau, and there's a book. Uh, where is Blood. that then? Where, where is that? In France, René Le Chateau. That? Yeah, where is it? It's mid-France. Where will we please there? Right, it is... A big shout out to uh, the three networkers, well, for having the absolute shittest coverage in this country. Um, that's why it's so slow. Um, it is. It is the south of France. Um, oh, is that? I never heard of that place. Yeah, it's really slow. Yeah, I'll tell you what, right, let me. I'll send you a link to it. It's probably best. Well, I'll send it in, you know, in the, the thread like we did before that. 
when we did that yeah, message yeah. Yeah. I'll send it in, that's so you know. But yeah, the story around Red at the Chateau is remarkable. Is it about uh, the Cathars or because the, there's a big Cathar and uh, Zion connected to it? I thought you were going to say that. I thought you were going <laughs> to come up with that one. Yeah, uh, it should be up in the thread now, that one. Then. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, I've, I've, it, sorry, I've sent, I've sent it to your um, Insta. Have you got it? Yeah, I have. I'll look at it after, anyway. Yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. But yeah, it's a fascinating uh, story around it. Um, and I've actually got the book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail. I'll send you that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did have a copy of that once, but I never I never actually read it. But it is really interesting. I don't know, I get a very... I think, I don't know if you believe in past lives or whatever, but I get a lot I of intuition it. about different places. And I can really feel... I've got a very strong connection to that area, just yeah, oh, sort that. of like the Cathars, Carcassonne around there and, and the Temple yeah. land and all of that. It's really... The Temples are linked to it as well. That's what makes it fascinating Very interesting. Oh, really, really is, interesting. Very yeah. Magdalene's Chapel. What yeah, has yeah. guards it, which is very strange. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's very... Oh. It's very um, nostalgic that around that area and and I definitely sense something and I th- I'm sure the, the reason I, I can I found French quite easy is because I, I have it naturally there you know that I've remembered it or some, something from some, some other time you know um, but also when I was like five years old I used to go on holiday in France and we went to um, near Karnak which is where the stones are have you heard of Karnak yeah and they just, you know, yeah. they destroyed yeah. all the fucking stones last year. Did you know that? I didn't know that, no. Yeah, they, they fucking bulldozed them all down, right? They bulldozed them all, all down and put a bloody DIY store, store there. Do you know some... Well, I'm laughing. Can't not tell laughing. me if that's not deliberate. Uh, yeah, well, it's usually... They'll throw any bit of land. They're going to throw out for non-natives. I will say uh, that's a huge airport because that tends to where it's been like all here. Um, but from to take something down of such um, huge significance. Of course it does. Yeah, I mean it's massive. For a DIY store, I mean, I mean they didn't remove them all. There's some some of them left. Um, but, I mean, that's like destroying Stonehenge, for fuck's sake. I mean, it's it's just, what the fuck? And, like, they did it overnight. They didn't tell anyone. They just did it. And it was, I, I was really upset about it. I feel upset about it now because it's, it's. I don't know why I feel so upset about it. But, like I say, I seem to have a connection with Brittany because when I was five, I went there on holiday and... I just got just all these vibes. I remember it very clearly, like very like, oh, just just steeped in mysticism and stuff. It just feels like that. And, and they took it away. It's just it's disgusting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And we arrived at this um this house, and I I had this premonition like when I was five. And of course, when you're five, you don't understand really what premonitions are. <laughs> you don't really know what's strange and what isn't. Just you know, like but but sit back like back then, and when you start realizing what it actually means, it changes everything. 
yeah you, you, it's when you look back you think god that was weird like <laughs> yeah but yeah I, I i went i was stood outside the house that we were staying in and i, I just knew before i got in there how the house was going to be laid out exactly it was i just had this vision of the inside of the house and i mean it wasn't i don't think it was even a particularly old house it was weird um and i went in and it was exactly the same as i'd seen it in my head <laughs> it's like it was, it was odd like like um like a premonition almost would you say yeah and i've i've had more premonitions so that was the beginning of it really um Really? So yeah. That, that like sort of triggered when when you when you knew that you sort of realised shit. I've got some sort of gift here. Well, I didn't. I mean, I as I as I grew up, and I knew it was obviously I knew it was weird. Yeah. But I, you know, it was only as I got older that I weird. that this I had really not, not weird. more this very strange is... experiences. That that. Well, I'll go. I'll go into that. I mean. Thank you. So, anyway, that, all that time really screwed me up, you know, trying to like find my way in the world and, you know, living in France and what have you. And anyway, I, sp- I traveled around Europe and did fruit picking and God knows what, which was all good and, you know, saw countries and that was all good. And then when I got back, my boyfriend just said to me, I don't want to be with you anymore. It's not working out, blah, blah, blah. So we split up separate ways, as you do. Um, and I was back on my own again, and I, I just thought, I, I can't, I can't stay here like this. It's, you know, it's just. I mean, in the meantime, I did have a load of other friends, but they were all guys, and I was in a. At the time, like that, that part of France, like round near Toulouse, and that is a very, very heavy city. And there was loads and loads of drugs. It was when heroin first started coming in through Europe, really, much before it arrived in England. And I, I was friends. I, I had some really wild times. I mean, that's, I think that's when my alcoholism started, really. Um, and with all these, these guys that I used to go out with and my boyfriend and what have you, and we used to get really drunk and like then it got into like heroin I never did that I was too scared but they all got into that which was a you know a very heavy kind of vibe to be around really to experience that at what how old was I would have been 18 something like that 18 to 21 as well Danny right at that age to see something like I mean it's it's always had a bad name heroin um especially back then you could tell couldn't you um i mean you can tell now those people are taking it now but i think some people um can control it um some people can't and, and those that can't uh, affect some in a major way um you know it's, it's um it's further down the downward spiral uh quote um yeah, it does. It does generally take hold in the end. It took hold of my sister. Um, it's about anyway, I mean, all all those friends, they all got very, very heavily into into heroin, and my boyfriend as well was going down that path. So I I didn't really 
I couldn't really be within that because I, I wasn't I wasn't ever going to do that. I was absolutely terrified of it. Um, so I, I, I was just used to drink. But um, anyway, the long and short of it was that I decided I was going to go back to winning back to England. And at the time, my sister, who's like eight years older than me, she she sort of like was on the tail end of like the the sort of hippie era, I suppose, the yeah. 60s. Um, so she had a lot of influence with that. Um, and it was at the time of Stonehenge and the festivals at Stonehenge and, and like people, people were gathering there and they were becoming like yeah. travellers and living in buses and... You, and nice people you know together, yeah. Yeah. Well, they 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 were called the Peace Convoy, actually. The Peace Convoy. Oh, yeah, if you if you Google, you need to Google all this after Google it all because it's really interesting. Um, yeah. So people, travellers used to gather gather at Stonehenge every year to have the festival, um, because at the time you could actually you could actually go on the stones. It wasn't it wasn't blocked off like it is now. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? How it's like changed again. Uh, they say it's for public safety, yeah. but really, yeah. is it? I don't know. I think it's all, yeah. It's a way of making money as well. A lot of it's business, you know, you have to pay to get in there it. now. That's their agenda, is money. Yeah, it. it is. And they, they, they already shut Stonehenge off, uh, I think it was about 1983, maybe 82, something like that. So they shut the stones off, but people were still yeah. having the festival in the field nearby. Oh, the family. Yeah. It's like Glastonbury, I think. You know, I've been quite a lot of time. I mean, it's like, like I've got to tell you before, like, like my daughter, um, she's been every year, it's been on since she was two. She went with her mum, even like when we split up, et cetera. She, she loves it. Um, it's like a holiday in it. Um, but when when we ever went to Glastonbury, we'd go like, uh, we'd get there on the Tuesday. And I went on, it starts like Thursday, strokes Friday. But the best times to me were before the actual festival started, like when people were having their own parties in the fields and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We went, we paid, uh, um, sound crazy, this. Five pounds to get in, somebody had the defence was much different back then. You could just push it and it was just like a free throw. A fiver to get in compared to how much it is for a ticket. Now it's shocking. Well, I my first still think it's worth it. It was nineteen eighty one. And they didn't nineteen eighty one. Yeah, yeah. They didn't they didn't even have boundaries then. Like there was no we used to do I mean, going back to my sister, um yeah. and Stonehenge. So they're all the I'll tell you that bit in a minute, but um Oh nice one. Yeah, I can't wait for it. Yeah, so so anyway, um all the travellers used to gather at Stonehenge and, and then they'd have the big festival and what have you and then go off and separate again afterwards. But in nineteen eighty I think it was nine nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Um the, uh, during the miners' strikes, um, oh, I remember them when I was a kid. Uh, do you remember I, it? I, do especially, you? Yeah, yeah I did. it was terrible. Uh, it was, it was that, really yeah. awful, really, really I mean, bad. I, I, I was, I was brought up in a pit village, so you know we had 
It's yeah. all. Yeah. You know. Um, so you still have the legacy of that now, then, don't you, up there? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I the Thatcherite years. Yeah, Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Uh, wow. She had, she had a lot to answer for that woman. I'll tell you that. She, she really now. did the things that she started because yeah. the lot changed in the the eighties. I'll tell you that. You know, you were saying that we were talking yeah, about the that. world changing, what have you? It changed in the eighties because, yeah. like, then going back to Stonehenge, they decided they weren't going to allow this free festival because it was a free festival then. They weren't going to allow it anymore. So. Anyway, all the buses and all the travellers turned up. And the travellers then, they weren't, they weren't really, they were sort of hippies, but they were also, they were yeah. bikers, you know. So it was, it was a quite a heavy scene, you know. It was, they I weren't, just, they weren't peace-loving hippie types, really. It wasn't quite like that. But they weren't, yeah. you know, it was, it yeah. was a funny, a funny sort of mix, really. But anyway, um the long and short of it was after the miners' strikes, they, they wanted to stop the festival. So everyone had gathered there for the festival as usual, for the party and what have you, in the Beanfield. It's called Battle of Beanfield, this. Um, and the, the Battle of the Beanfield. If you put if you Google that, you'll see all the hit the alternative history will come up about travellers, new age travellers. Yeah. So is that is that what the um the, the sort of clientele of people will be um, mostly new age travellers. Well, I don't, I don't like that word new age, but I say it because if you just say traveller, people think gypsy and it is a different Probably, thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's not it's not the same. It was it yeah, was a gathering of. Probably way, by the way, and I didn't mean it in that way. No, um, no, I, so I don't really care. But the, the fact is that it's not the correct terminology because i'm not i'm not a gypsy i'm a i'm I'm a traveler um and i'm a new age traveler because it was something that started in the 80s that came out of stonehenge and that that is the term although i don't like it that is the term um so what happened was that after the miners strike to stop the festival going ahead they sent the riot police from from the miners strike down to Stonehenge, and they trashed, that's that picture I said, they trashed the shit out of all the travellers and mothers and babies in buses. And nobody knows about this apart from people that were travellers. There was no footage of it at all, what they did. And they went in there and they trashed, they trunched them through the bus windows, they wrecked everyone's homes. They like they, they were women running out with children in their arms. And it was just, it was terrible. And I wasn't there, I just know about it. And after that, the following year, um, I, I came from France and my sister was living in a bus and she, she weren't, wasn't so much involved around Stonehenge either, but um, she was living in a bus. Um, yeah. And I decided that I was going to go and live with her on a bus for a while. So I did. I moved into a bus with her boyfriend and her. Hi. And we lived... Um, in Glastonbury and a place called Greenland's oh. Farm. Now, Greenland's Farm was the place where everyone was going from Stonehenge off because they'd stopped it. So you've got all these tra- travellers gathering there um, yeah. and all around Glastonbury. So they, there was just this influx of travellers waiting for the festival so they could go on to the festival 
um, yeah. and stay there because they'd stop Stonehenge. You know, they, they, people wanted to do the festival and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so what happened was that we all stayed at Greenland's farm, or a percentage of us did. And I saw the lies and the crap that the media put out about the travellers. I mean, some of it was true. I mean, it was quite wild because it was seriously anarchistic. It was, you know, there yeah. was no there was no police control over us at all. Do you know what I mean? It was very, very anarchistic. Um, yeah. And it was in the punk era as well. So on top, we had all that. <laughs> I that was full for the police. <laughs> uh? I bet that was full for the police. Yeah, it it was wild. It was. Yeah, um, yeah. But the, the the point was that the media painted travellers as being like they they spread it all around Glastonbury that we all yeah. had hepatitis, which we didn't. They 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 put in the papers that we were shitting in all the fields and leaving toilet roll everywhere. We didn't. Um, they also put footage of Stonehenge of this guy sat by a a fire with a with an axe he basically built a fire up you know to to keep warm and they portrayed him as an axe murderer basically oh, you know wow. dangerous like yeah. you know renegade or something like that so i saw i saw all that and i saw all the lies and i saw how you know how we were treated because then margaret thatcher brought in the the neighborhood watch scheme and that caused a oh, hell of yes. a lot of shit. Do you remember that? I remember, yeah. Was it like, uh, oh, like there was like a like a sort of like a triangle with. Um, I remember because you you sent stickers out and everybody put in your window and you had to have one or some bullshit <laughs> i know what you mean yeah yeah but i didn't so know well, what it was it's giving it's giving rights to to, to normal people oh, yeah. to police to police their neighborhood which in some levels yeah. is you know I, 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 I can see the other side of it but the trouble is you get all these people that want to be police coppers like you know that are going yes. out there and taking the law into their own hands basically yeah. and Probably. so the police for the bullshit uh, yeah, in the old vigilante type of way. Yeah, they, I mean, you know, it was a nightmare for travellers because what happened was that whenever you parked up anywhere else on your own, or you know, yeah. even with someone else, you just mind you in your own business or whatever, and then you get people turning up and smashing people's windscreens. You know, the neighbourhood watch would come yeah. and smash people's windscreens because they didn't want the travellers there, and this went on for. A good few years, um, and then like Glastonbury, I mean, it was, you know, there was a lot. There was a lot. I mean, it was very. It was a heavy scene. There was, you know, the peace convoy was made up of, of like a lot of different sects of type of type of travellers. So you had, like, the Rainbow Warriors, which were like sort of like the peace loving hippie faction, which yeah. were you know, quite gentle and hippie-ish, like I say. And then you had, like, the sort of hardcore, like, they were called, they were called the Brew Crew. And there was a real culture the around brew special crew. brew drink. Yeah, special brew drinking. And um, that that was really, really heavy. Because special I mean, brews is, is a weird drink. It, it is a weird drink. Yeah, about 10% now, something like that, like that. It's uh, strong in it. Yeah, it's, I think it's 10, 11%, something like that. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a dangerous drink. Uh, yeah, and it's, it, there was a real know. culture around it at the time as well because. There still is a few anyway. Huh? <laughs> there still is a few. Uh, a few. Uh, well, the drink's special brew. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, what they'll do is do a special oh, brew chase. Yeah, you've got tenants as well. Tenants Super. Yeah. Well, look, it's like uh, Tenants Super, yeah. Um, yeah, they, yeah. Do a whiskey chaser, so they, they not you, you. You whisk it and then cane a, a kind of special brew and oh my it does god, splatters you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So crazy. anyway, it became it was quite a cult thing. Special brews. So, um, do, did you remember a band called Bad Manners? Yes, I do. Bad Manners. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that song, Special Brew? I love you. <laughs> do you remember that? I don't think Special I've heard Special brew, I love you, gonna spend all my money oh. on you. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, it was sort of like a piss set from someone else, wasn't it? Uh, but they changed the wording on that. We got that one right, I think. Well, it was, I mean, they, they were a ska band, um, Bad Man. Yeah. So they were kind of a little bit less known than Madness were, I suppose. Um and they brought that song out, so there was a there was a right old cult about it, you know, and it it, it was it was a thing. So that anyway, the Brew Crew they were called after Special Brew, basically, and that I mean that was that would they were heavy, they were they scared me that those lots because they were <laughs> literally kind of like traveller punks. Yeah, and um, like they didn't shit about anything, just uh, yeah, they didn't give like, a shit about anything at all. They that, really that didn't, what, and they lived in like really like trashed up vehicles and stuff. And, yeah, that's why um, I, I've got a lot, I've actually got a lot of respect for the gypsies. Um, I say gypsies, you, you know what I mean, like a flight travelers. Um, we've got like well, there's, a, a, there's a lot, there was a lot of bad yeah. shit in the scene, there was, yeah. you know, but there was there was a lot of lies as well about what was going on, yeah. and um. And I mean, I I never really, you know, apart from I used to work at Glastonbury and I did Elephant Fair as well. I used really? to travel around. Yeah, sort of picking up rubbish really? and like, oh, yeah, I so like, stay for yeah. ages yeah. after, for weeks after sometimes, clearing up the site and there'd be big parties. And it was great. It was brilliant as a traveller. Yeah, I'll tell I mean, you that. It was such well, fun. Because people just, I mean, I've, done, I've been there myself when, I've got like a, a new, brand new tent, five, six month tent. Uh, it's that much of a hassle packing it away, especially when you've been hitting it hard for partying for a week nonstop. Like <laughs> yeah. A couple of hours sleep, you can't be asked to put your tent down, so you just leave it. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. You go you go to Glasgow and find all these tents after, like, but doing that work, I mean, the amount of stuff that you find, you know, is just incredible. It's just, yes. it's an in- interesting job, I must admit. Um, With huge and big, big parties. Yeah, yeah, uh, I love and, that. And very wild, because it was all, it was all travellers after. We all did the work and that. And, and then, like, what happened was that, Michael Evish that, that owns um yes, Frankly. Yeah, he owns um what's it called? The farmer. Um oh god, I can't think what it's called. Worthy Farm. Worthy um, Farm. Yeah. It's, well the land at Worthy Farm is huge. Oh it yeah, is, it's know, massive. Realise yeah, how big it's like another world, isn't it? Yeah, well when I went it was tiny. 
you know, there were about 60,000 oh, people, which is nothing. It was it was small when I went. I stopped going. The last time I went was 1981, and I, I didn't like it after that because it's just too big and commercialised. But when I, I went, it was still I, quite I small, like it. And, it, and it was it was really good. I mean, one year they just had just reggae after reggae band, and I love my reggae. Okay. Oh, God, I, I've seen loads of reggae greats at Glastonbury. I've seen loads. Um, so that that was sort of like the, the mid-80s, I suppose. And then what happened with the traveller scene was that um, that heroin that I was telling you about infiltrated in through Europe oh. into England, and yeah. it's it infiltrated into the traveller scene, basically. And I still think to this day that that was done, done deliberately. I've always thought that, that, that there were maybe plain colours cops or something like that that had gone on and sold heroin to people and got people into it because there was a big no-no on that stuff to begin with. No one wanted to touch that stuff, but eventually it did infiltrate in and it totally wrecked the scene yeah. and... What they did was it, it was like they put us on reservations. It was just like the same fucking thing as the Native Americans, because what they did was everyone became heroin addicts and then they gave them like reservations to go and live in in cities. And, you know, people were living in Bristol. And what they used to do was they put up a the council would go in and put up a porcelain and then you just get all these travellers there congregating and living there and there was it was awful I mean I never lived anywhere like that because I wasn't into it never have been never will be um but there were there were needles everywhere um and unfortunately my sister got into it and my brother got into it who was also a traveler and I just Sorry. watched the degradation of this kind of scene that that's true special brew and and heroin of something that was I think you know, it, it was the punk era. It was anarchistic. It was total fucking anarchy. And that was that was a good thing. Do you know what I mean? It was a good thing because there wasn't that control. There wasn't that, like, that stuff that we've progressed into now. You know, it didn't exist. Yeah. It started then. And I saw it through that, that lifestyle. And yeah. And I saw how they dealt with it. I saw how they destroyed the scene. They, you couldn't live on a bus anymore because you needed a like a an MOT on it. You didn't used to have to have an MOT on a bus. And then they brought in like all these different insurance rules so that you couldn't drive stuff like that. So they little by little they just destroyed the traveller scene. And well, then people were just travelling around in smaller vehicles really after that. Yeah. But yeah, as as a traveller, you just get continually harassed by the police. You didn't have to do anything to get harassed. And there's no laws to say that you can't park on the side of the road. There's no law to say you cannot do that. But they will harass you, even though they've got no right to. Yeah, they make rules as they go along. But I think what you just said then, uh, Janet, about um, it does sound, and it, I would say 99%, um, on the gap that that would have been purposely done, like 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 how they did like, scapegoating, uh, crap, scapegoating. Yes, like the crap exam in in in, uh, in the US, um, deliberately done. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's, you know, they they turn, you know, Joe public into, turn them against you because they feed it through the media, all this stuff that isn't true. And yeah, some of it was, but like not all of it was. And a lot of it was really nasty. I mean, to go around spreading it, saying we all had hepatitis and like we were shitting everywhere. It was just not true because travellers weren't doing that. You know, we loved... It was always a nature-based thing. People wouldn't have treated nature like that, or they, they didn't yeah. have hepatitis. Why would they have had hepatitis? Yeah, you know, just, drugs weren't in, that, in the scene at that point, you know? Yeah, and then the woman at Greenland's farm that, that owned Greenland's farm, the police, she was a lovely old woman. She was about, I think she was about 75 or something. She's just an old hippie, basically. Yeah, and they, yeah. do you know what? They were going to put her in prison for having travellers on her land put her in prison they harassed her to get to get us off her land and she wanted us there and they harassed her and threatened with a prison sentence wow it's just it's what i mean about how society has changed and they make up laws make up rules as they go along and just to suit them they're just constantly after fucking us all well i mean laws are only ever made up anyway and it's like but they make they make you believe that they've got some sort of authority over you, which they don't. Well, Mass because you say so. Hang on a minute. Well, I don't say so. I don't agree with you. So, how come you've got authority over me? What because you're, yeah. you know, you're a police officer, or you you're part of a royal family, or you're I'll part of you know, whatever it is. You know, you've got no authority over me as a person. Actually, you just. You just con people into believing that you do, and I'm sorry, yeah. but I'm not con by that because I'm I've never I, I haven't been in that system. I've never have been because I grew I, I grew into being a traveller and I I yeah. and I've seen it all and I know it and and it's like you can't then then put rules around me when I haven't had them and I don't yeah. believe in them. You know, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's just um, it's I mean, it's like I just said, it's the manipulation. Um, the manipulation it, it runs thick and it has done since well before uh, even the 80s oh um, yeah it started yeah definitely yeah i mean i yeah. you know listening to a lot of other podcasts about you know the music scene and how that was infiltrated in the, the 60s and what have huge, you I'm, you know mark huge. devlin have you listened to mark De- devlin stuff because he comes up with some interesting stuff i haven't known what i will He's name? British, he's, and he's yeah he he because he used to be a DJ, oh, and um, you know he goes into how, and some of the American guys as well they talk about it how you know magic was used and you know the Beatles had Alistair Crowley and the you know their album covers yes. and all that and shout that yeah so that, it's start, I think Sergeant it probably Peppers. yeah Sergeant he's Peppers on, yeah. yeah yeah and um. You know, even before that, I think it really probably started with rock and roll with Elvis and, and that. And then, you know, they they also changed the tuning because I'm a musician. And, um, you know, it went from 432 to 440, which is which puts your nerves slightly on edge. Whereas a 432 tuning is, is yeah. more it's softer and more melodic somehow. Um and as a musician, I can feel that. I, I don't really like playing in 440, but I have to because other people do. Um, but they did that as well. I don't know when they changed that. Well, why did they do that? Why why would you change it to make it, you know, the vibration put you slightly on edge? Why would you do that? 
but to ruin you know, it. Yeah, uh, there's a lot uh, you hear about that a lot, especially with uh, like like modern day like rap when they do the concerts. Um, you like strange things happening, and you yeah, know, yeah. Vibrations are very powerful. That, like, yeah, you never heard about that. Like, uh, I mean, the huge, huge part of my life was like in the nineties. You know, like that that scene where like uh, the rave like, scene. Like, yeah, yeah, that was um, best years of my life. Um, you know going to like parties and stuff like you find out last minute and forget about them we have our phones on and we just work by mouth yeah i remember all that i mean i never got into that scene but i remember it all yeah yeah Yeah. uh, it's just completely different like like it was just happy whereas it it changed Um, well that was that was quite quite anarchistic really wasn't it because that came off the back of my era didn't it you know that the the party scene came off the back of the the sort of like the 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 festivals you know and and so it was quite it was quite anarchistic but little by little it changed like you say didn't it yeah yeah and i think you know a big part of that was in my opinion um i'm sure some of the Grecian soul will not um but especially the connection between that kind of music and the drug scene changed, uh, especially in this country, changed a lot, like, especially like when MDMA and Exeter came into play. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And that changed. It was a lot happier. You think, oh, drugs are involved, oh, it won't be bad for. This just a, a huge misconception uh, on how things are demonised. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. People did yeah. die, but people die of drinking. Um, people died. Yeah, More I'm people sure it probably wasn't end. half as much as they said, to be honest. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm sure it, a lot of it was scaremongering and yeah, I, yeah. So little by little, I mean, they, they, you know, they killed that scene, didn't they? And, and you know, even I, I, the electronic music, though, I mean, that was coming in then, wasn't it, as well? I mean, I was never, I never, I never liked that scene, to be honest, because... I'm a musician, so I like I like acoustic music or most electric guitar. Oh, what have you. I like rock and rock, you know, and and. You like levelers. Yeah, I like anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, they were a travel band, band, you know, the levelers. Yeah, yeah. They're from, they're from like, is it the Isle of Wight? They're from. Huh? Oh, they're from the Isle of Wight, aren't they? Or somewhere like that. Brighton. They are. Uh, where is it my from? Sis, my sister knows them actually. Really. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, 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 yeah, she, she was sort of well into all that scene, you know, with the levelers and yeah, Brighton. I know I never lived down that way, but um, yeah, it, it, it changed. I think the electronic music and you know, you see the progression into the AI music now, there's no voices anymore, is there? I, oh. I didn't like that as a musician, I didn't like that electronic music and because i wasn't into ecstasy none of it ever really made sense and i just i just saw it as like instead of going to you know a festival where you got live music and atmosphere it was suddenly just speakers and like just these people kind of in their own ecstasy world so i never really understood it i'm you know i'm not criticizing i just i just couldn't get into it i didn't yeah i get get it um but i can also understand 
but your generation, how how it opened your minds up and did what oh. it did for you. Because I've got other friends that are your age, you know, and, and they say the same stuff, you know. How many 19-year-olds um, you know then, Dennis? Come on. Eh? <laughs> how many 19-year-olds you know apart from me? <laughs> how many 19-year-olds from then? Yes. Yeah, apart from me. <laughs> Oh, well, I've, I've got friends that are your age now, and they're not people that I knew then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, because I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't really look my age, and I don't re- really act my age. <laughs> that sounds you don't bad, look, doesn't you it? Don't, but, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't come across as fifty-nine years old, and I certainly don't look it. And and no. you know, so I tend to have younger friends really I don't I, you know it's just I do I do have older friends as well but um yeah all ages really but you know anyway the long and short of it all was I was on the road for a good a good few years and I I, I got yeah. pregnant um and I had my oldest daughter who's now 34 um and that relationship on the road uh, was very abusive um, because of the drinking, the drugs, and what have you. Um, and I thought that was normal. I really, I really, and honestly thought it was normal to lead your life like that. Yeah. I didn't and know any different. And I'd seen my dad drinking quite a lot, so I, I never thought anything of it. I just thought that's what people do. And of course, within our society, alcohol is very a very accepted thing as well. Um, but it's by far the worst drug. By far. Do you know something, anyway? Are you saying that about alcohol? Think of, like, I mean, I don't watch a lot of telly, uh, but think of, like, especially us growing up, um, what was on telly back then. Forget we only had four channels. I remember when we only had three. Yeah, yeah. I I remember uh, the first telly I ever had was um, this black and white little shitty thing. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, yeah, three channels. And we got channel four, but think of what, what we had. I mean, I never watched them, but EastEnders, what's it based around the pub? Yeah, yeah. That still is now, though, isn't it? All those so they're based around the pubs. All the Oaks pub, they are, like, yeah. And this is what I mean about. about Society and it's sort of, sort of like through through TV, it, it sort of was a normal thing. So a lot of people did drink. A lot of people drink now. Yeah, they do. People do see it as normal, and it's only when you stop yeah. that you think, "Bloody hell, this isn't not normal at all. This is weird." Yeah, weird yeah. because you know you get so much stick when you don't drink as well. It's like you know you're a it's party magic, poop, it's weird, isn't it? It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, anyway, I mean, you know, I I ended up being a drinker and, and in an abusive relationship that I was in for 12 years and um, just, you know, being hit um, and manipulated and... Oh, um, sorry, sorry about that, it's fucking so wrong. How, how any bloke can... Even consider uh, her in somewhere that they're meant to love. I mean, it's like before we started recording, I saw it was a bit about 
shit what I went through. Um, yeah, yeah. No, okay, our woman should grow no. up. No, nobody should. Should, nobody should. You just shouldn't should hit not. another human being at all, ever. It <laughs> you is. just shouldn't. No, it's wrong. It's totally wrong. It's it's horrible. It's cowardly. It's wrong. So it is incredibly cowardly, cowardly, yeah. Kids and women, you know, if yeah. you want to man up, because real men don't do shit like that. No, they don't. That's right. Anyway, so this is where the story gets a bit more interesting now. Um, so when I had my daughter, because um, I was going through all this shit and, like, you know, the the partner at the time, he was, like, doing loads of speed and coke and god knows what and staying out till god knows what time and then coming back and giving me shit and what have you i had like um i had a, a psychotic breakdown and right. i i was totally gone I, I i there was no me here at all i i I couldn't even communicate. I was just in fairy world. I was totally somewhere else. And I was, I was, I wasn't sectioned, but I was put into um, a psychiatric hospital, which was then, and nine, that was 1989. That's like an asylum. Asylum, yeah, in an asylum. I was put oh. in an asylum. And it That's... really was like one of those, there were just these people like it's just like what you see on the telly this big old house eerie big old house set in these big you know grounds um and you know these lunatics wandering around like screaming and shouting it was really like that no exaggeration and it was the most terrifying thing i've ever been through i can imagine Um, also as well danny right i I sorry to interrupt i know you're on a roll here but that environment for somebody who's probably been um, misdiagnosed. Uh, it's like like we we previously said when we was growing up, you never heard of mental health. You you might have heard. I remember hearing lots. No, there was no it. mental health then. There was no, there was no mental it. health. It didn't exist. It, you know, yeah. you didn't have like. Exactly. You know, their their version of mental health was giving you electric shock treatment, really. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. You know, that's what it was. You got no therapy or anything like that when you were in there. It was just like you were... I was locked in a fucking cell and um, I was manhandled by the police and handcuffed. I was handcuffed by the police because I, I was basically running riot and I think they thought I was on drugs or something. Um and the police kicked me onto the floor and handcuffed me. And, and I was totally off my tree. Yeah. Um, so to be treated like that when you're off your tree is just, like, Not terrifying. Good. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And um, anyway, I was in there. And I think I, I think I was only in there, like, a week. Yeah. But um, me being me, you know. It was it was a week of hell. It really was because I did I did I didn't know what was going on. I I I, was, I like to say that I wasn't there. It was like I, it was like taking a massive LSD trip, massive LSD trip, and it was like it was like all trip. all the conditioning in my head was just spewing out out like just sicking it all out literally mentally. It's just all coming out at once. It was I, it was unbelievable. It was. 
fucking unbelievable. It was just spew, spew, spew. And um, and then, like, after about a week, I started to sort of come down. I suppose they, I had to take drugs. They forced me to take drugs. And they put me on Largactyl, which is a very, very heavy drug. I don't oh, think they gosh. use it anymore. What's it called? Log- Do you know what Largactyl. Logactyl. It's probably called something else I, now. If they even use it now, I don't I'll, know. It's I'll basically it. heavy I'll... kosh. Yeah, is it a bit, a bit like like uh, one of the old? Um, I mean, back then there would have been like really strong like benzos, like yeah, but, yeah, like stronger than tamazepam, that kind of shit. Well, it's heavier than tamazepam. Yeah, so it's just basically something to um, st- numb your brain, stop you from speaking, taking away your free will. Where that is what I think that they've been trying to do all along is. Well, they, they said because I kicked up because I I've, I was frightened and I felt yeah. um, intimidated by it all. I kicked off because yeah. that's what I do when I get scared. I kick off. And it's a natural instinct, isn't it? Fight off, fight. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. It's like cornering an animal. They're going to go for you, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's what they did. They cornered me. They put me in a cell. Gave, gave me all this shit and like. Never manipulated you into a way where you, you you know you think this they think oh well well fuck her head up she won't know where she's coming well she won't know left and right that's what they do it's like a bit like well a, they just what they th- what they thought at the time I think was like well we don't really know how to deal with it so we're just like you know cosh her up put her on a lot of heavy heavy medication which does work to some degree because then you do start to relax and come down it does work but they don't. They didn't, after that, they didn't give anything else to me. And when I kicked off, they, this, this big woman got hold of me and she was like, oh, if you, if you don't do this, um, you know, manhandled me. If you don't behave like, you know, you'll be in here for a long time, love. And I said, look, I'll get my solicitor on to you. She said, once you're in here, she said, you've got none of that. She said, you've got no power at all in here, love. And I, and it really? frightened the life out of me because I thought, I haven't, have I? I could be locked up in here for years and no, no one would care or know. This, this, is what I mean. this is what I mean about society and, and the laws, what they make up as they go along. They don't give a shit about us. No, they don't, and and that that was the extent of our mental health system at the time was yes. was that, and it frightened me enough to realise. And my then partner did say to me, he said, "Look, if you don't stop kicking off, you will be stuck. They'll section you, and you'll be stuck in here." And <laughs> it made it made me realise that I needed to just shut up, put up, and get yeah. out. Just and like, that's like, what I did. Yeah. Huh? Sometimes, like biting your lip and just like trying yeah, exactly. to do it in that way, and then yeah. I'll be saying, oh, it's just it's what I mean about they say we've got free will, it's a free country, it's a free country. If we don't have free will, you can't, you can't say what you want to say. No, you can't, and, you, and you, you your rights are taken away when, you, when you're in that situation, yeah. particularly if you end up somewhere like that. You're, yeah, set, yeah. You're, you're set up because oh well she's crazy you know and, and not only that when when you've when you've got that kind of label even your own family sets you up 
because it comes it starts there it starts in the family yeah. it's like i was bound to be the looney tune in the family yeah. you know and, and it's like oh well she's you know, she's crazy you know denny she's crazy she's you know she's not right in the head you know we're all all right but she's crazy so i'm the scapegoat i'm the scapegoat of all their craziness and i take that on board because that's what i learned within my family and um but the whole the whole thing about it was very weird because the psychologist said to me like can you remember like um can you remember it when i come down off of it and i said yeah i remember every every detail of it and he he, he was really surprised because most people like when they're psychotic they don't remember it but i remembered everything and it was it was really it really was like being on a massive LSD trip. And, but the weirdest thing, this is going back into the premonitions, right? When I came out and I was living back in, in the truck with my partner and my baby, um, I, yeah. I, I, things that I'd seen in my head in, in the psychosis, they were, they were playing out in reality just little tiny snippets of things like premonitions that would have been crazy that but like you say but for you to have some sort of like a premonition or well i did i couldn't work out what was going on because like hang on a minute i've already seen this but that was in my head yeah. when i was so like, looting tune, like it was it was it was manifesting in the reality yeah. a few weeks later and it and you know yeah, i'd get a flash of it even like years later sometimes it was really it was really weird and i thought there must be so much more to this psychosis than just it being like a mental illness and um, you know for a long time it, I, I was it was such a stigma i couldn't even talk about it i was so traumatized i, I couldn't even mention it because i felt so ashamed so humiliated but, um, yeah but you say you, you, you felt like almost like alienated was it like you felt totally completely... alienated yeah, yeah totally yeah. because it, you just feel like stigmatized like you're a mental case yeah helpless you, know, that... you felt helpless in yeah 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 totally yeah. especially and... when you've got nobody you can talk to as well about it no, especially when the family go to you as well, you know. And then I was assigned a counsellor. did have a counsellor, I'll give him that. Actually, no, that wasn't that time, actually. That was the second time it happened. No, there, there was no aftercare except I had to take these fucking pills. Well, did, did I take these pills? No, I threw them away as soon as I came out. Um, but, of course, by then, I've got this sort of, like, you know, she's the mad one kind of label from my partner. He's all right, even though he's abusing me. She's the crazy one. It's it's Denny. She's got all the problems because she's mad. But never mind what you're doing. Hey, you're beating me and you're, you're running off down the pub and you're totally psychotic because you've been doing loads of speed or whatever. But I'm I'm the one that's got the real issue. Well, am I really? Or is this the result of all that everybody else? You know, and I'm just reacting to that. Um, so anyway, that that sort of fired my curiosity about about psychosis, and I always had a 
an interest in psychology. I read quite a lot of books when I was sort of in my teen years. I read the obvious books as well, like 1984, Brave New World. I read a lot of Herman Hesse um, books on psychology. So I had a, a real good kind of self-learning of alternative kind of um, books, I suppose, you know, and, and um, I mean, 1984 is just an incredible book. If you've never actually read the book, you should, because it's, it's brilliant. It really is. 1984. Yeah, George Orwell. Yeah, incredible. And Brave New World, you have to read that as well, because they were really the forerunners of, of where our society is now, you know, and it's weird how they wrote those books then. They they were almost like prophecies, really, I think, those two books. That's what if you haven't read them, you need to read them because they're cult books. They really are. So we've got 1984 by George Orwell and we've got Brave New World. Is that by George too? No, it's uh, Aldous Huxley. Oh. Yeah, we'll definitely check these out. But, um, yeah, it's like... like you know, that's the whole, that's the whole, like, you know, 1984 thing and the, um, you know, Big Brother comes out that book. You yeah. Know, all that. Oh, it's all based around that. that oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, have, you have to read it because it's, it's just, Definitely. the way it's written is just, I mean, the film's really good as well, I've got to say, but it doesn't touch the book because George Orwell, the way he lays it out and explains the mind manipulation you can just see where we are now. It's like bloody hell, that guy knew that he knew because he goes into all of it, how they erase history and erase words. And you can see it all happening now with AI. You can see how they're doing it. AI is shocking. So I'd, I read all those books anyway, and I was interested in yeah. psychology. And I also started to, well, no, I didn't actually start to read tarot at that point. I um, I was still on the road and I sort of semi-recovered, but I was still like really fragile and, and frightened and didn't really know what was what with the psychosis, didn't really understand it, but I knew there was something very psychic about it and something, something otherworldly about it, I couldn't explain. Um, and I went on to still travel and I went up onto Henry Fort which is a, I think it's the most ancient hill fort in, in Britain. I have heard of that. What's he called again? Henry Henry Fort. Henry Fort. It's near it's near Honiton in Devon. Although you speak to some of the um, most fascinating the greatest history in that has ever been from down the down the southwest coast. Well, all over uh, the. There's a lot, there's a lot of stuff down here. You have got a lot of Viking stuff that people don't really, yes. really know about. Um, all the hill forts and stuff. And I mean, I, I've, I have stuff going on with that. Like I can pick up, like vibes from the land. I've, I get, I've had sort of like visions through my mind of like Vikings fighting long before I even knew Vikings had been there because I couldn't understand it because I thought, well, the Vikings never came down here. So how come I'm seeing these battles in my head? 
are they Vikings? They fe it felt like Vikings. And then I found out, I did some research, and I found out that they were all around this area and these hill forts and stuff, um, which I thought was really interesting. But yeah. I ended up up, up on Henbury Fort and because our truck had broken down and we were living up there, I don't know, we were a couple of days, I suppose, and we had no water. And these two people walked by, a woman, man and a woman, and the guy stopped and he said, oh, do you need anything? And we said, well, yeah, we're, we're broken down and we've got no water. And he said, look, I'll go off and get you some and bring you some back. So he took the canisters off and got some water for us. And when he came back, he said, oh, um, I'll, um, do you need somewhere to live? So we're like, yeah, we need somewhere to stay because obviously the truck's fucked and we don't really know what's wrong with it, but it's quite serious. Um, so he, he said, right, well, you can go and stay on a friend of mine who's got a few tra travellers staying there um, yeah. and just pay a bit of rent or do some gardening or something for her and you'll be able to stay there. So we went and stayed there. Um, and in the meantime, he he was in and out of my life for about... Uh, uh, must have been 24, 24, about 10 years. So I was never a huge, great friends with him, but I'd see him because he was friends with my then partner. Um, so I'd see him now and again, all of that. And I really, really, I really liked him. I fancied him, but I'd never have done anything because he was with people at that, at that point, you know, different women. But I, I became best friends with his wife um, or his ex-wife. And we were friends for, I mean, this is where the story gets a bit weird and interwoven and a bit, it's hard to explain, but like, there's a really weird matrix of things that happened with these oh. people. So, I I'm presuming before you, before you share such um, an intriguing story, then uh, I'm presuming change for the worse. The, the the true colours really show. Um, well, it wasn't so much with the partner that I was with; it was where it went yeah. from there. Because oh, right, okay. This matrix that kind of happened. Yeah. It was it was very weird. So I I was best friends with his wife for years and like my partner was kind of on the periphery of that and my sister a bit and my brother a bit with his girlfriend um and and like I said I'd see this guy on and off over the 10 years and he was traveling around as well and he had another girlfriend and a few more kids so he had about I think he had four kids at the time um and yeah. then but I had, I, I liked him and I, but like I said, I'd never have done anything. Um, and then I moved into a, a bungalow because my daughter. A bungalow? Couldn't, yeah, couldn't, I got a council bungalow, basically. Oh, no. Um, I hated it. <laughs> um, oh, really? Yeah, well, I've been on the road too long. I didn't like the, I didn't like the the walls and that you know but I was very it would have been a huge it. change for that especially with you know you being 
a traveler for so long. I bet that was a, a, a massive change. Well, in, I didn't know how know. to integrate myself into a village at all. I, did, I didn't know how to. I didn't. I didn't know how to be normal. I did. I didn't know how to be in a house or how to. Huge change that into huge change, even with it being a bungalow, because like a lot of um, static caravans um, are, are like a bungalow sort of setup, but it being all on one floor. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was a nice bungalow, but it, it yes, just, yes. for me, I, you know, I've been in France as well. I had no idea how to live in a village in Devon in a bungalow. I, I didn't know how to, you know, like I, I say, I had all that shit growing up. I didn't know how to integrate myself or where to go or how to be. I, I didn't know any of that. Yeah, that's um, like life-changing shit, that, isn't it? Yeah, because I just didn't know how to be normal. Just yeah. had no idea how to lead my life, Absolutely. and I was on my own then. I split up with a partner because, like, obviously it was abusive and what have you. And when I moved in there um, with my daughter, I had an, another psychosis because obviously I I couldn't deal with it, you know. So again, I was triggered. And that that would have been that was nineteen oh what was it nineteen eighty nineteen ninety four I think that was yeah. ninety three something like that and again I was put into hospital but th- thank fuck they'd done away with all those old style bloody psychiatric asylums then. I'll tell you what, tell you what, right, sorry to interrupt, I know you're on a, an incredible role, Denny, but but imagine if you, if they would have been still carrying on with all that lobotomy shit back then and the electric shock treatment, you probably wouldn't be in now. I know, I mean, thank God they didn't do that stuff to yeah. me because I was really scared they were going to, you know, I thought they were oh. going to give me electric shock treatment, I was really frightened. I really thought that's what they were going to do, but they didn't do anything like that, thank God. Yeah. So the second time was a lot more gentle. Things there was a mental health system by then. You know, there was there was therapy. There was, um, I mean, yeah, it wasn't much therapy, but they were, they weren't better than nothing. Yeah, better than nothing, and they weren't really sort of psychiatric places as such there were people that had addiction problems in there it was people that were had issues really more than just sort of like mental health you know it was a bit different um and I think I was in there about I don't know it must have been about a week or so I I can't really remember it's hard to remember now because I was so out of it again I was this this mental spewing going on but it wasn't it wasn't as dark as the first time. The first time it was really, really dark, the stuff that I yeah. I was I was having some weird things like I'd lie in the bath and I'd see myself with dreadlocks and stuff. And I never liked dreadlocks. I just thought I'd never have dreadlocks, but I'd seen myself with dreadlocks and I'd seen like um I don't know, I'd like do you remember the probably don't remember the hurricane of eighty seven? Uh, off the top of my head, no. Well, down I'd here, ten, we had a massive, massive hurricane. It was the first we ever had in this country, I think, like that. 
and I was I was in that, and I was in a tent in the woods, and I'm I'm very lucky that I'm alive because the next day seriously yeah then the, I mean it was like it was Danny, like you're legendary for going to fucking hurricane oh this is not like half that. of it this is nothing yet. <laughs> This is this is this is terrible, I've got to tell you. Yeah, this is bloody tame. This is nothing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Seriously. So I went through that, and I woke up in the morning. I was living in an apple orchard because I used to do apple picking as travellers. And oh, really? in the night, yeah, yeah, we just do fruit picking. So down in Kent and around there, and park up in the orchards and spend like a couple of months picking apples and pears and stuff. And various other fruits, strawberry, sorts of different things. Um, but the next day after the hurricane, because you could feel like it was like some, it was like a giant was in inside. I was living in this big army tent. They'd come in and just tipped everything over and like was just smashing everything up. And we went and sat in the Land Rover, and it was like something physical was thumping the side of the, the Land Rover all night long. And we're thinking like, oh, this is a bit bad. What the hell's going on? And my partner at the time, he was walking through the woods off his head on speed. And this hurricane was, was at its height. And he, wow. I was surprised he didn't get a tree on his head because the next day we woke up and every other tree was over. Oh, every other tree was down. You couldn't get out anywhere. They were all over the, the roads, the houses, roofs of people's houses were blown off. It was terrible. Have a look at that one, the hurricane of 87. Because we've never had one like that since. We did have a hurricane, I think, four or five years later, which was pretty bad as well, but it wasn't like that. You don't hear about anything. Like, I mean, the, the worst what you hear is, obviously, flooding is huge in this country all over. Um, a hurricane. Oh, it was a massive hurricane. Yeah. Seven Oaks in Kent became one oak. Seven Oaks, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, became, it became it's one oak now because they all got blown over. Seven Oaks, yeah. And it, it, again, all these areas um, down here, they're all like compared to where I'm from. These are all known as posh areas of. Um, well, the, Seven Oaks is, yeah. Seven Oaks, very posh. Crazy. Very rich lot down there in Kent, full of gangsters and bloody rich people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The firm and all of that, Kent, all around that area. Um, yeah, so that was that. So I had a, various kind of ideas about that being a significant thing. Like the, the fifth, I remember the date, 15th of October, 1987. That way. Yeah, what I'll do, like, like all these little like bits, what what you've been telling me about, I'll just add like little snippets in the show notes. You know, for, for each thing we've discussed, I'll just yeah. put a little bit in there. I'll just have, have a search online, and uh, obviously I'll let you have a read over it before we release it. But um, maybe once we finish the part one, um, there's no way we could get this done in one episode. No, it's it's too big a story. It's far it's, too much to say. It's I, I am beyond intrigued. Already. I mean, I've that this is a very Oops. small beginning of it. I haven't touched the sides yet, really. I love it. Thank you. But the the fifteenth of, of 
October was quite significant well, because that was the that was the day that I actually moved in with that partner that I had my first child with because we were homeless then because the tent got destroyed and what have you um and I had some some money that I I managed to buy the truck that we lived in that I was talking about earlier um yeah. and we got that and we lived in that but that was that that 15th of October when I moved in with him was quite significant because that was the day of the hurricane um how how you you have even still remembered i mean obviously huge significance for you for your life especially yeah it was because i knew that when when i made that decision to move in with him i'd had this dream um that i really should not be with him and i didn't listen to it because i was insecure and I I didn't know what else to do so I chose to be weak and I knew I shouldn't have been and that dream told me and I've never forgotten that because I should have listened to that but I didn't I was I was too insecure too fragile too didn't have any friends didn't have anywhere to go nothing all my family you know my brother and sister were traveling around my family were, you know and Deborah in France they didn't know what was going on with me my mum was having nervous breakdown um, I'm, you know, there was all that going on as well, which affected me massively. My mum's mental breakdowns as well, which obviously I'd taken on that. You know, I obviously inherited that off her. Um, so anyway, that 1987, that particular day was quite. I when I was psychotic, I knew that that had something to do with something, and I didn't know what. Um. But there was a whole thing around it. I mean, I don't remember now, but, um, you know, at the time there was, it all added up to me, basically. Um, yeah, it's like, like would, you say, would you say it almost as if, like, the, the longer it went on, the more you realised what was actually going on or what was trying to... Um, come out, what was trying to yeah, come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. yeah that's definitely. It. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was the for the forerunning to what happened in the future after that, really, and my wonderings about what psychosis was and and everything else. Um, but yeah, perhaps that's a good place to wind it up for a minute. That that bit. I'll tell you what, Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when when we when we first started talking, um, I, I knew the, there was a lot more um, than you was letting on, but I did not know that it would be to such um, fascinating, not fascinating. Where uh, I'm thinking that this has been good for you because it's got you to where you are today, and and for me, the amount of trauma that I've been through myself. Yeah, I'm um, really sorry about got, that. It's horrible. It, it, it happens. We've all got our own shit, haven't we? But um, I think. Well, you know where I am. If you need to talk, like I am a qualified counsellor, so if you need, yeah, if you need to talk any time, just uh, let me know because yeah. I'm always open. I I wouldn't charge or anything. I'm, you know, no, <laughs> no. You know, if you it, if you feel you need to open up about something and talk about it, you know where I am. I really mean that. That means a lot, Danny. Thank you very much. Um, and you know, I will take you up on that. There's no doubt. 
because it's always it's always for me talking um you know i've got i've made some incredible friends um through my podcast and in this community and to have somebody uh, in your class as a friend, I don't see you as somebody who really just message. You're much more than that. To have that uh, that option where I can speak to you in confidence, it means yeah, so much. Um, it really does. Um, I know. Well, it's it's the only way forward. Have you had counselling? It is. Um, personally, no. Have you not? Wow. You then you really do need to do that. You know. No. Yeah, I mean, well, once we finish recording shortly, you know, we've got time to speak about um, quite a lot, whatever you like. But seriously, for part one, um, the, uh, we did say before we started recording, I, I didn't think it would be uh, at least <laughs> boring. Uh, there's just no way. No, <laughs> not for one minute. I think I'm more intrigued now than what I was before, uh, which is what well, the reason why this has got to be at least. A three-part series, I think. Yeah, easily uh, it will uh, be because it's it's just yeah. it, it it gets that's weirder. Okay it gets it gets yeah. um. That's what we want. Much darker <laughs> as well than what I've already yes. told you. That's nothing. That's that's nothing yeah. what I told you so far. I mean, I've got I've got to what the age of twenty-four. So I know twenty-five. So yeah, uh, you know. It's just, I, I am. I am truly and deeply intrigued um and i can't thank you enough again for sharing something that you've not shown before shared shown shared before um and like i said you're a fellow native and you've got a golden ticket to come on my show whenever you are oh thank you that means a lot oh. and it's nice it's nice that you're english as well because thank you you know, because you are fellow native, definitely. You know, you've always yeah. got your cultural yeah, kind of connection, haven't you? You know, whether you're yeah, a northern are. or a southerner, you know, or me being a yeah. traveller or whatever, it doesn't matter. You, the the common denominator, we like we said before, yeah. is that the, the fact that you've been through stuff and I have, and yeah. that's that's the humanity. That's the part that we it's, we want to connect with. Yeah. Um. I can't thank you enough, like I said. But please, Dennis, before you go, um, before I even speak any further, I cannot wait till we speak again. Yeah, no, uh, it'd be good. Yes. And I'm sorry if I'm a bit intense, but it's hard to, you know, it's such a lot and it's hard to yeah. kind of, you know, I'm remembering stuff. It's also quite traumatic to recall it. You know, I'm trembling a bit now, and it's it's yeah. you know it's it's difficult to to stay focused and to get it running the way I want to really. So it makes me a bit intense, and I have a tendency to be a bit manic because of the psychosis. But I like, will say, um, Jenna, uh, before you go any further, for your first time on a podcast, you're fucking incredible. I mean, really? that you. Just seriously, just by being yourself. That's what I said. I said, you just treat it like a phone call, just be yourself. You know, um, I thought uh, the chemistry um, between us has been uh, on point. And yeah, yeah, like definitely. I said, yeah. Still, yeah. Um, it's good that we can make that like immediate connection. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's really a good start, isn't it? When, when you. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a good connection, a good chemistry with someone, and you feel comfortable yeah. and open and, and what have you. Um, 
Yeah, that's Oops. when you get that energy flowing, isn't yeah. it? You know, that's it, what yeah. it's about. I mean, yeah, I think more important for me is have you enjoyed yourself? Oh yeah, I have, and I, I'm, I'm. Thank you. I, my one concern is that I've been a bit. Um, but perhaps I've jumped about a bit and it hasn't made sense. No, oh, yeah. no, 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 you've not. You've just, um, you said it the way that was meant to be said. Yeah, that, that, that's it. Please don't really. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. Like I said, surprising that you've not been on a podcast before and how easy it has been to actually have a conversation with you. That's yeah, I've, 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 I'm very open. I've had a lot, a hell of a lot of therapy as well. You know, I've, I've done... Yeah. Bit, you know, been in various other places with therapy. Yeah. That's another part it's, of the story. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but I've done tons huge. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. huge. And I'm a musician as well, so I'm used to being I can't on wait stage to hear and that. stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, before you go anywhere, Derek, would you like to let everybody know where they can get John of Pucky Socials? Most importantly, plug the services that you offer. Well, I'm a, an in, intuitive and a tarot reader. Um, I'm a qualified integrative counsellor. Um, and I'm well experienced in Theravada Buddhism and the Eightfold Path and mindfulness. Um, I'm very good at emotional Impressive. release. Oh, God, it's endless, really, um, the stuff that I've done. I'm good with any kind of addiction because I've worked in addiction for five years. I'm good with young people because I've worked with young people as well. Um, what else? Um, I, I know a lot about diets. I've got, you know, I'm good. That a lot. I, I know a lot of stuff, really, yeah. to be honest. Um, and really? You can ask me anything and I'll probably have something to say about it, really. Um, what did you have for your tea tonight? Uh, well, I had my I had my dinner at dinner time actually because uh, I was out this morning, so I had like um, spaghetti bolognese type thing. Oh, nice! Yeah, nice. yeah, it was, it was it was nice. I got it out of the freezer. I cheated a bit because uh, I didn't feel like cooking, but I, I, I will not it. say that's that's saying that that's being well preferred, well preferred and organised, if anything. Well, I kind of have to be because I've, you know, I've been into health since, oh, since the early, like when I was 15, I got into being vegetarian. Yeah. That's another part of the story. Really. Wow. I've been yeah. into diet and stuff since I was 15. Um, and Soft. I was vegan long before people knew, knew what a fucking Don't vegan was, you know, but I'm not now. Um, yeah. But I do know a lot about diet and, and health and um, yes. I take care of my diet because I think it's vital in healing. And I think that. Um, well said, well said. Yeah, it's, it's important. I mean, I'm not over. I'm not obsessive about it anymore. I have been, you know, I cut myself slack. I eat chocolate and ice cream and stuff, but I do take you care do. of myself. You know, I do. Yeah. And I do yoga. Um, and I meditate when I <laughs> when I feel the need to, but I'm no, I'm not very good with it. But like you know, it's I do do it sometimes. I think it's it's meditation, but one, it's, um, it's it's very very popular. I don't think people realise how popular it is meditation, but it's not. 
people sort of might say, oh, yeah, you're tossing shit, but it's not an, an easy thing to achieve. In my opinion, it takes Well, I think there's, I mean, obviously I've done a lot of it because I was in the monastery, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what meditation actually is because it really is just sitting with your mind and, like, noticing how what it does you know in buddhism they call it the monkey mind and it's like you know you'll sit down to be quiet and suddenly you're thinking about like what you're going to do next week it's like well let's stop that there then and take it take yourself back to your breath and that's really all you do that's all you really need to do and eventually you'll find that you you come to a place of of being able to be sort of present to some degree and then you notice that you'll You'll have moments where you're not really thinking of anything, especially, um, and that's when you are meditating. But but it it won't be probably for very long. If you can manage five minutes, that's amazing, really, to be honest. Um, and it does take a lot of practice, but it, it's yeah. not. There's no goal in it. It is simply to be there with your mind and notice what's going on. That's all, really. Yeah, I love that. It's a good, good description. Yeah, and and I, I, yeah. I you know, I, I think I should do more, but I just, I'm a fidgety, quite active person, and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't got the self discipline for it. I mean, I've done enough of it, but even in the monastery, I just, I, I watch everybody else sometimes. I don't my eyes, and I think, well, I just sat there and rock a stone for an hour, and I'd be fidgeting and moving my <laughs> yeah, legs. They're and, actually doing anything. How do they do that? Like, you know, I could never I do it, but I have my moments, and I've had some very weird experiences meditating as well. You know, I've seen. Yeah monks and I've you know people have spoken to me I've gone into trances and all sorts you know but um that was in the earlier days when I started meditating and you know it kind of disappeared after that I don't get that now but yeah it's it's a lot of things really meditating you know yeah yeah we all see things differently and things uh I perceive differently to us all as well um sorry Things are perceived to us all differently as well. Yeah, like, that's right. Yeah, one person's uh, you know, meditation will be completely different to someone else's. You know, it's yeah. it's a very personal experience. You know, um, yeah. Yeah. but uh, you know, it, it is very good. It is it's calming and it's it's certainly interesting. You learn about yourself. That's for sure. Yes, yeah, beneficial to yourself. Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, without a doubt. Jenna, yeah. I cannot thank you enough. I have loved um, this episode from the very offset. It's been uh, fascinating, and I cannot wait till we um, get stuck into part two. Which, you know, yeah, no, it's 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 been great. It's been really interesting. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and I just I just like to say as well that um, I feel quite touched by Shane McGowan's death as well because I kind of really resonate with how he was as a person because he was a raging alcoholic and and a punk you know and that song you know um fairy tale of New York and he died just before Christmas and it's you know one of the lines in the song is like you know I won't see another one and I just think that's so 
It's so weird that he wrote that line all those years ago when he wrote that song, and here he is, and he died just before Christmas, and he was a real character, that guy. I saw him twice. I saw him at Glastonbury in Elephant Fair, and it was he was wild, absolutely wild, you know? Can you Quite make a it? character. Yes, yes. Um, Sad yeah. loss. Sad loss. I know. I know. It's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, especially for his wife. I think they were very close, and I just think, oh, it's very sad for his family, you know. And he had a very difficult upbringing, you know. He was drinking from the age of like ten or something, you know. Very, very difficult life. Yeah. It's a shame. So uh, rest in peace, anyway. Yeah, that's it. I just wanted to end on that note, really, because I felt quite Thank touched you. by so, that. Yeah, so you've got your plugs, you, you're, Insta, you're not on Twitter, are you? Is it just Instagram? Oh, I was, yeah, I should just give you, maybe I'll just give you my email address. Yeah, of course, um, that's fine. Because my Insta's got my name, and at this point, I'm I'm not sure yes. I want my real name on there. No, so no, my no. my um email is is Denny D E double N Y Dance yeah. D A N C E Yeah. Num number eight. Yeah. At hotmail.co.uk, and it's all classic email address hotmail.co. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if anyone oh, wants so, to contact me, just send me an email and I, I will definitely get back. Definitely. Yes. Be my yeah, honour. Yeah. And, and or, you can ask me anything. Yeah, or you could also, also email it to me and I will forward it over to, to our dinner, whichever way is easiest for anybody. Um, okay. But you've got yeah. to I'll, I'll have everything to show notes and everything, then don't worry about that. Okay, um, brilliant. Like I said, thanks again. Uh, I have loved speaking to you, and I can't wait to speak again. But... Me too, and thank you, thank you very much, and thank you for being such a great host as well. It means a lot, oh. you know, because it is highly personal, you know, it really is. So it's very yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, dear. That means thank a lot. You. No problem. But um, yeah, I'm gonna stop recording now. But don't go anywhere, please, dear. As we move forward. Anytime you come closer to something, your vision should get clearer. Am I right? You are a tool in the hidden hand that's using you. Please don't be delusional. The rulers of this world practice confusing you. The people and the priests and the imams have been jammed by government scams. Mind systematically programmed. Blatant black hatred and racism. The way they lace the whole world and nation with traces of Satanism. This place is a pagan prison. The founding fathers enslaving intentions were no different than Bush's and Reagan's visions. 1776 took action. This Illuminati took form spawned from a Colombian faction Let's flip your one dollar bill over And if you want me to expose the true code of deception I will show you We live in a designed wicked system The number 13 is consistent in Masonic symbolism It represents transformation 12 completes the cycle So 13 was rebirth and regeneration The meanings of the symbol are strategically hid On the left side you see a 13 layered pyramid Over that sits the all-seeing eye with the light Shines, a sign of the devil watching over you as
all times. The words Anna with corruptus. Thirteen letters meaning he has favored our undertakings. Will you accept this? Or will you learn the science and ignore them? Under the pyramid, you see Nova's orders of chlorum. Translated, new order of the world. Or the new world order. Author the satanic fathers of mass slaughter. The eagle that you see on the right sits below 13 stars with a shield that has 13 stripes and an olive branch in its claws with 13 leaves, which is supposed to be in its talent to represent peace. But peace was always on a decrease. His other claw holds 13 arrows of war set to be released. And the letters at the bottom of the pyramid are fixed with the Roman numerals that equal 1776. The United States of America exists in the deep devilish abyss with truth and paganism mixed. Every president that ever lived was foul. They gather at Bohemian Grove where they bow down before the owl. See, the owl is wide from siege to the darkest of night. And there's a small one on the dollar near the one on the top right. It ain't hard to understand this government was never for us. The eagle was based off of the Egyptian hawk Horus. Thirteen colonies who went to wicked sovereignty and made no apology for the obvious idolatry. Subconsciously, we followed the ways of the beast and paid homage to pagan gods when we say days of the week. Like Sunday, they worship the sun. Monday is moon day. Tia, the god of war, was worshipped on Tuesday. Odin, the chief goddess, who Wednesday is named for. Thursday is Thursday, god of thunder, the mighty Thor. Friday was named after Frigga, notice the pattern. Saturday is the Roman god of agriculture, Saturn. Frigga was the goddess of love, the wife of Odin. The polytheistic theology needed to cope. The rituals like trips across the sand as man takes the skull and bones fraternity, the secret handshakes would understand. He receives only 33 degrees. He secretly believes in Lucifer and other deities. Many powerful and rich people are controlled by these. They even hold the soul of several of your favorite MCs. Politicians telling lies, tongues riddled with thorns, and use hand gestures shaped in the form of devil horns. You don't see in the city hall because you don't know what it entails. Satan tapers with stem cells and sprays chemtrails. The so-called holidays are hypocrisy. Established to use religious doctrines to commit annual robbery. Christmas split in half is Christ's mass. The so-called birth of Jesus where every home has glowing lights cast. Christ the anointed one mass, the birth celebration. Jesus' birth was kept secret due to the situation. The king initiated the death plot because the Messiah was prophesied to rule so Jesus' murder was authorized. No one knows the actual date. That's why sometimes you see Xmas. X means unknown but ignorance affects us. A fraud that was purposely flawed. December 25th, the birthday of the wicked ruler Nimrod. His whole disguise was part of Satan's universal rise. A holy prophet's life being pimped and commercialized. Traditions like lights on trees rooted in the Nicene Council in 325 AD. So Constantine, these matters were decreed. The concept of a virgin birth was actually conceived and then agreed with graven images in the temple. The fish on your car is called Onus, a Babylonian symbol. It's visibly contradictory, telling your children lies. You need to make them study Santa Claus's sick history. But yet we go wherever Satan leads us. The falsehoods we practice in his name ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah, yeah.